Chapter Two, Part One of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orsi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Freewin Miniatures, Part One. Although, mind you, Lady Molly's methods in connection with the Nine Score Mystery were not altogether approved of at the Yard. Nevertheless, her shrewdness and ingenuity in the matter were so undoubted that they earned for her a reputation then and there. Which placed her in the foremost rank of the force, and presently, when every one, public and police alike, were set by the ears over the Freewin miniatures, and a reward of a thousand guineas was offered for information that would lead to the apprehension of the thief, the chief, of his own accord and without any hesitation, offered the job to her. I don't know much about so-called works of art myself, but you can't be in the detective force, female or otherwise. Without knowing something of the value of most things, and I don't think that Mister Freewin put an excessive value on his Engelharts when he stated that they were worth ten thousand pounds. There were eight of them, all on ivory, about three to four inches high, and they were said to be the most perfect specimens of their kind. Mister Freewin himself had had an offer for them less than two years ago of two hundred thousand francs from the trustees of the Louvre, which offer, mind you, he had refused. I dare say you know that he was an immensely wealthy man, a great collector himself, as well as dealer, and that several of the most unique and most highly priced works of art found their way into his private collection. Among them, of course, the Engelhart miniatures were the most noteworthy. For some time before his death, Mister Freewin had been a great invalid, and for over two years he had not been able to go beyond the boundary of his charming property, Blatchley House, near Brighton. There is a sad story in connection with the serious illness of Mister Freewin, an illness which, if you remember, has since resulted in the poor old gentleman's death. He had an only son, a young man on whom the old art dealer had lavished all the education and subsequently all the social advantages which money could give. The boy was exceptionally good-looking and had inherited from his mother a great charm of manner which made him very popular. The Honorable Mrs. Freewin is the daughter of an English peer, more endowed with physical attributes than with worldly goods. Besides that, she is an exceptionally beautiful woman, has a glorious voice, is a fine violinist, and is no mean watercolor artist, having more than once exhibited at the Royal Academy. Unfortunately, at one time, young Freewin had gotten into very bad company, made many debts, some of which were quite unavowable. And there were rumors current at the time to the effect that had the police got wind of certain transactions in connection with a brother officer's check, a very unpleasant prosecution would have followed. Be that as it may, young Lionel Freewin had to quit his regiment, and presently he went off to Canada, where he is supposed to have gone in for farming. According to the story related by some of the servants at Blatchley House, there were violent scenes between father and son. Before the former consented to pay some of the young spendthrift's most pressing debts, and then find the further sum of money which was to enable young Freewin to commence a new life in the colonies, Mrs. Freewin, of course, took the matter very much to heart. She was a dainty, refined, artistic creature who idolized her only son, but she had evidently no influence whatever over her husband, who, in common with certain English families of Jewish extraction, had an extraordinary hardness of character. Where the integrity of his own business fame was concerned, he absolutely never forgave his son what he considered a slur cast upon his name by the young spendthrift. He packed him off to Canada, 
and openly told him that he was to expect nothing further from him. All the Freewin money and the priceless art collection would be left by will to a nephew, James Hyam, whose honor and general conduct had always been beyond reproach. That Mr. Freewin really took his hereto idolized son's defalcations very much too hard was shown by the fact that the poor old man's health completely broke down after that. He had an apoplectic fit, and although he somewhat recovered, he always remained an invalid. His eyesight and brain power were distinctly enfeebled, and about nine months ago he had a renewed seizure, which resulted in paralysis first, and subsequently in his death. The greatest, if not the only joy the poor old man had during the two years which he spent pinned to an invalid chair, was his art collection. Blatchley House was a perfect art museum, and the invalid would have his chair wheeled up and down the great hall, and along the rooms where his pictures and china, and above all, where his priceless miniatures were stored. He took an enormous pride in these, and it was, I think, with a view to brightening him up a little, that Mrs. Freewin invited Monsieur de Collinville, who had always been a great friend of her husband, to come and stay at Blatchley. Of course, there is no greater connoisseur of art anywhere than that distinguished Frenchman, and it was through him that the celebrated offer of eight thousand pounds was made by the Louvre for the Engelhardt miniatures. Though, of course, the invalid declined the offer, he took a great pleasure and pride in the fact that it had been made, as, in addition to Monsieur de Collinville himself, several members of the Committee of Art Advisers to the Louvre came over from Paris in order to try and persuade Mr. Freewin to sell his unique treasures. However, the invalid was obdurate about that. He was not in want of money, and the celebrated Freewin art collection would go intact to his widow for her life, and then to his heir, Mr. James Hyam, a great connoisseur himself, an art dealer of St. Petersburg and London. It was really a merciful dispensation of providence that the old man never knew of the disappearance of his valued miniatures. By the time that extraordinary mystery had come to light, he was dead. On the evening of January 14th, at half-past eight, Mr. Freewin had a third paralytic seizure, from which he never recovered. His valet, Kennet, and his two nurses were with him at the time, and Mrs. Freewin, quickly apprised of the terrible event, flew to his bedside, whilst the motor was at once dispatched for the doctor. About an hour or two later, the dying man seemed to rally somewhat, but he appeared very restless and agitated, and his eyes were roaming anxiously about the room. "'I expect it is his precious miniatures he wants,' said Nurse Dawson. "'He is always quiet when he can play with them.' She reached for the large leather case which contained the priceless art treasures, and, opening it, placed it on the bed beside the patient. Mr. Freewin, however, was obviously too near death to care even for his favorite toy. He fingered the miniatures with trembling hands, for a few moments, and then sank back exhausted on the pillows. "'He is dying,' said the doctor quietly, turning to Mrs. Freewin. "'I have something to say to him,' she then said. "'Can I remain alone with him for a few minutes?' "'Certainly,' said the doctor, as he himself discreetly retired. "'But I think one of the nurses had better remain within earshot.' Nurse Dawson, it appeared, remained within earshot to some purpose— for she overheard what Mrs. Freewin was saying to her dying husband. "'It is about Lionel, your only son,' she said. "'Can you understand what I say?' The sick man nodded. "'You remember that he is in Brighton, staying with Alicia. 
I could go and fetch him in the motor if you will consent to see him. Again the dying man nodded. I suppose Mrs. Freewin took this to mean acquiescence, for the next moment she rang for John Chips, the butler, and gave him instructions to order her motor at once. She then kissed the patient on the forehead and prepared to leave the room. But just before she did so, her eyes lighted on the case of miniatures, and she said to Kennet, the valet, "'Give these to Chips, and tell him to put them in the library.' She then went to put on her furs, preparatory to going out. When she was quite ready, she met Chips on the landing, who had just come up to tell her that the motor was at the door. He had in his hand the case of miniatures, which Kennet had given him. "'Put the case on the library table, Chips, when you go down,' she said. "'Yes, madam,' he replied. He followed her downstairs, then slipped into the library, put the case on the table as he had been directed, after which he saw his mistress into the motor, and finally closed the front door. End of Part 1 of The Freewind Miniatures